Would you like to turn to Joshua chapter 7? Well, we've already enjoyed reading your word, Lord. We've read from your wonderful Psalms, exalting you and glorifying your name. We've read from the Gospel, Lord, reminding ourselves and hearing once again that you are closer to us than we ever realize, even at our most discouraged and disappointed if we did have but eyes to see. And now we read from this story, Lord, and it's because we know your unending love. It's because you love us with an unfailing love that nothing can separate us from your love that we can look confidently here. We know, Lord, that because you love us, you want to make sure we're always heading towards you, not away from you that our eyes are fixed on you and not diverted from one side or another. It's because you love us that you are willing to stop and pick us up when we fall and put us right. So your words of comfort and encouragement are matched with words of challenge and conviction in order that we may come to know you better. So resting in the truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus... We can look restfully at what you may have to say to us today. And we ask, Lord, it will be our joyful response to seek to bring pleasure to you throughout this coming week in the power of your Spirit. So may he lead us into truth, Lord, for Jesus' sake. Amen. So, Joshua 7, we've had the Battle of Jericho, that was all very successful. Unfortunately, the next stage in the journey is not successful. Have you noticed that when we succeed at something, we very rarely ask why? When something happens that's wonderfully good and uplifting and it all happens together, very rarely do people gather in a little huddle and say, now why did that happen? Why? Why did that happen? Why ever did that happen to me? But when things go wrong... That's exactly what we do, isn't it? We gather together and say, oh, why did that happen to me? I've got this wonderful little book called The Heroic Book of Failures. Because he thought there's too many successes. So here's one. In March 1979, workmen at Ballymacra in County Antrim replaced a telegraph pole upon which a pillar box was fixed. The workmen did not have the official keys needed to release the clips that fastened the box to the pole, so they raised it over the top of the old one and then slipped it down the new one. But the new pole turned out to be thicker than the old one, and the post box came to rest nine feet above the ground. It remained in this position for three weeks, during which time some posts still managed to get through. <laughs> I am told, said Mr Ernie McDermott, the postmaster, that someone provided a stepladder. <laughs> the mind boggles. Here's another. In 1978, workers were sent to dredge a murky stretch of the Chesterfield Stockwith Canal. Their task was to remove all the rubbish and leave the canal clear. They were soon disturbed during their tea break by a policeman who said he was investigating a giant whirlpool in the canal. When they got back, however, the whirlpool had gone and so had one and a half mile stretch of the canal. In its place was a seamless stretch of mud, thickly punctuated with old prams, bedsteads, rusting bicycle accessories. 
In addition to this, a workman found a flotilla of irate holidaymakers stranded on their boats in brown sludge. <laughs> Among the first pieces of junk they hauled out had been the 200-year-old plug that alone ensured the canal's continuing existence. We didn't even know there was a plug, <laughs> said one workman, explaining that all the records have been lost in a fire during the war. Anything can happen on a canal, the po a spokesman for the British Waterways Board said afterwards. Don't you just love these things? Things going catastrophically wrong. But I don't know if any of you saw the little um, half-hour programme on Tommy Cooper last night. Well, it's quite possible that if Tommy Cooper's tricks had worked, no one would have heard of him. Happily, however, his magic was, from the start, blessed with an almost operatic badness. He has become a much-loved household name. It may be of interest to hear how this great man discovered his unique gifts. At the age of 17, while an apprentice shipwright, he appeared in a public concert held in the firm's canteen at Hyde in Essex. Intending to give a serious display of magic, he walked onto the stage, and as soon as the curtains parted, he forgot all his lines. For a while, he just stood there, opening his mouth only to close it again. The audience was spellbound. All right, he thought, get on with it. Well, he got on with it, and everything went wrong. His grand finale was the milk bottle trick. You have a milk bottle full of milk, he told the entranced audience, and you put paper over the top, and you turn the bottle upside down, and take the paper away. The milk stays in. And with bated breath, the audience watched, and he turned the bottle, and he paused for effect, and he took away the paper, drenched all over him. As if he had not done enough already, Mr. Cooper then got stage fright and began working his mouth furiously without any sound coming out. At this point, he started to tremble and walked off, perspiring heavily. Once in the wings, he heard the massed cheers of a standing ovation. His future glory was assured. And one of the commentators last night was saying that he said at one time, there are a hundred guys who can do magic, but there's no one being the fool. I'm going to be the fool. There's a man who turned his weakness, as it were, he was actually a brilliant magician, but turned it, his foolishness, into a strength. Let's read about Joshua, because this is exactly what God is doing with Joshua here. It's first a story of great disappointment and failure and everything going wrong, but that's not the end of the story for Christians, is it? Because if it were, none of us would be sitting here. We'd all be at home moping, wouldn't we? Because failure happens regularly. We get it wrong, don't we? And if that were the end of the story, how disappointed could it be? We had hoped, said those two guys on the road to a mass. You can hear the disappointment, can't you? And Jesus does something to them that turns that into something very good. So the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things, Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, that Achan, took some of them. And the Lord's anger burned against Israel. So now the storyteller has told us what the problem is, he's going to explain how it fits into the story. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And when they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the people will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and don't weary all the people, for only a few men are there. So about three thousand men went up. But they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. 
They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. So the tremendous success of Jericho, an incredible overcoming, is followed hard by this catastrophic disaster. And isn't that often the case in life? Isn't it true? You have a wonderful success followed by a dismal failure. Isn't that right? Something good happens and something bad happens. It's not always the case. I'm not telling you that's always the case. But isn't that often the case? We have this wonderful time and then we can get very low afterwards. And Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Oh Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they'll surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things, and they have stolen, and they have lied, and they have put them in their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. That which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward clan by clan. The clan that the Lord takes shall come forward family by family. And the family that the Lord takes shall come forward man by man. He who is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua told, had Israel come forward by tribes and Judah was taken. The clans of Judah came forward and he took the Zerahites. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families and Zimri was taken. Joshua had his family come forward man by man. And Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It's true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. 
They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and poured them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold wedge, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. It could be a very solemn message this morning, one that could easily make you feel awful. I don't want to do that. But you see that God records all this for our instruction, for our help. He wants us to know how life really is. Joshua, in very many ways, stands as a, as a, if you like, a picture of Jesus. But the problem with having human people standing, as it were, as a shadow of Jesus is, of course, you've got bits like this which are anything like Christ-like. It all goes wrong here, which it never did for Jesus. And the value of preaching through a book, one chapter after another, is you can't avoid the difficult passages. You can't avoid the ones you'd rather not preach on. And this is all part of the story. Because Christians need to know that things sometimes go wrong. Have you ever heard someone in their enthusiasm to convey how wonderfully positive the Christian faith is give the impression that once you become a Christian everything will be okay? Have you ever heard people do that? Well, we know what they mean. What they're really saying is your life will never be the same again. But if people hear them say you'll never have a problem again... They're in for a shock, aren't they? And what's more, it'll be a shock they can't handle because if they've been warned that nothing will go wrong and it does go wrong, presumably there's no solution. So we have to know there's always a solution when things go wrong. When Alan Redpath writes his book on this book, he calls this section, Setbacks, Their Cause and Cure. And he hints, of course, that in the Christian life there are setbacks. They don't need to be, but they usually are. They're not compulsory, but they usually are. Because we live in a fallen world and things happen, don't they? The book of Joshua shows that it's not only leaving Egypt that God is all about, but getting us into the land. It's not only being delivered from our sins, it's also inheriting all the Spirit has for us in the here and now. So this is what this is all about, going in to inherit the land. So they've had a wonderful success in Jericho, and Ai comes hard on its heels. And it's important for us to register those two things, because often one follows the other. So why does failure happen in our Christian lives? We all fail at different points. Your weaknesses won't be mine necessarily. My weaknesses won't be yours. But what's consistent is you have weaknesses and so do I, and you have failures and so do I. The chances are you have fewer than me, so it's no good comparing like for like. The fact is we have failures. So why do we fail? If we knew how we failed, then it would help us to know how we wouldn't fail. Let me give you just three quick things here. It's not going to be long this morning. You'll be glad to know. Just three. We've had a lot of the word of God this morning. I'm still mulling over that lovely passage from the road to Emmaus. Aren't you? It's wonderful. Wonderful. So keep that in your mind. God is closer than you think. 
Well, here's the first thought. We, we fail when God isn't consulted, when we don't consult God, when we don't talk to God, when we don't include God in our thinking, then we're likely to fail. Did you compare the two? You see, this writer tells us the stories of Jericho and Ai. He's not going to tell us the stories of how Bethel is overcome or any of the other cities are overcome. He's telling us this is how it's done. And that's how we're meant to interpret all the others. So he's giving us an example of a wonderful success and a disastrous failure. So we will also know how we overcome things. Here's your first thought. When we don't consult with God, we're likely to fail. What's, what's praying? Is it sort of one of those commands of God that you've got to do it? You've got to pray more. Actually, I find that approach demotivates me. It doesn't motivate me. If I read a book that kind of tells me, you've got to pray more, Charles, and lists great prayerful saints that pray for hours and hours, I come away feeling humbled, but also condemned, and often feeling more inadequate than I started, and feeling less able to do it. But I'm sure it wasn't the intention of the book writer, but that's often how it leaves me. But this is the thing. God wants us to include him in everything. He wants to hear our thinking. He wants to talk. Wouldn't it be a shame if you went with your friends and you all sat and looked at each other but didn't say a word? Lynn and I were once having a cup of coffee somewhere. Someone said to me once, you ought to have outside interests. Mine are coffee shops and tea shops. Anyway, um, we were having a cup of coffee somewhere and I just looked across and there were four young people in their sort of late teens, early twenties at the same table drinking and each one of them they were, I'm thinking, what, you don't need to be at the table together. I don't know whether they were emailing each other or texting each other, but they didn't talk in all the time we were there. They were. God wants to be included in our thinking. He wants to know what we're thinking. He wants to hear us. So why don't you include him in it? It's a lovely invitation this morning. Get the notices and then we can pray for them. It's kind of saying, Lord... We want to do these things and you've given us a hint that we ought to be doing these things. We just want to include you in them. You know, are we doing the right thing, Lord? Is it okay this time? You've got anything you want to say to us? In we include him. You have a prayer meeting for the squeeze. Not just to sort of plan the detail, but to say, Lord, come on in and tell us what's on your heart. This is what's on our heart. And you're consulting him. That's how it should be, isn't it? See, in Jericho, there's Joshua up on the hill looking at Jericho thinking what's going to happen and Jesus appears to him and they have this consultation and Jesus says, this is how you're going to do it, Joshua. Consult together. This time, there's no record of Joshua saying, Lord, so how should we do this one? Is it the same way? Another way? What? What would be your strategy, Lord? Talking to him. It doesn't. He just says, go to the spies, have a look and see what you think. And he misses out. It is so easy to do that. And I'll tell you why, when it's most easy to do that, when you've just had a success. That's precisely the di most difficult point, isn't it? Because you're on a roll, aren't you? You're on a roll. So that's why often pride is followed by a fall. Because we can imagine we can do it. Oh, no, we don't. We don't. I know we don't think that, but actually that's the effect. So one blessing from God after another, if he follows them with too many, we can get in this feeling that we don't need to consult him. So that's the first thing. 
Include God in your plans. Whether it's deciding what to shop. We knew a lady, or knew of a lady at Ashburnham Place. I don't think I met Marjorie May very often. You would know her, I guess. A lady who did the flowers, didn't she? If I'm right in thinking this. And this was, story was told to me. Did she do flowers? Anyway, it went, maybe not Marjorie May. Anyway, this other lady. Get my facts right in a minute. But anyway, the person told me that she wasn't a natural florist. But she would often be given the task of making some floral arrangement at Ashburnham Place. And the story is that she would always go out the door of Ashburnham Place and she would say, Lord, I don't know what to pick. Which flower should I pick? And then she would pick flowers. And she would ask him how to arrange them and she would arrange them. And people said her arrangements were very evocative and very uplifting. A lady just doing a simple thing like flower arranging. Include God in what you're thinking. In consultation, okay? Consult with God. Share your thoughts with him. Talk things through with him. Listen to him. Sometimes it takes a long time to work it out. Sometimes your answer will come very quickly. But God wants to be included in the process, doesn't he? Consult him. Here's the second thing. God was not involved in this, was he? There was no sense of God being involved in this. Not only wasn't he included, he wasn't involved in it. And in fact, he says to Joshua, if you carry on like this, you won't have my company. You carry on like this, I'm not coming with you. Now, Joshua, surely, bells would have rung, because a long time before, when he was second in command to Moses, and God said, I'm not coming with you, and Moses says, what? If you don't come with us, what's the point of us moving? You've got to come with us, says Moses. He was terrified that God wouldn't stay with them. It's the one thing that broke David's heart. Take not your Holy Spirit from me, says when he's been picked out as the sinner. Because he saw what happened when God took his Holy Spirit from King Saul. The bloke went mad. And David says, don't, don't go. That's what terrified him. And I think Joshua is terrified here too. With the thought that God won't come with him. He, he wants to be included, not only consulted about things, but included in it. Included in it. And here's the two guys on the road to Emmaus, just walking along deep in disappointment, very disappointed with Jesus. They're very disappointed with Jesus. Everything's gone wrong, and he is so close to them, they don't even know he's there. Isn't that a wonderful picture of how often it is with us? I am closer than you think, if you did but know it. He wants to be involved. In what we're about. I can't do it on my own, Lord. Good. The Gospel of Mark finishes with Jesus going with them to do the thing he had asked them to do. He was with them, helping them in every way. I will be with you always, he says at the end of Matthew's Gospel. I will never leave you nor forsake you. How many more times do we have to hear it? He wants to be with us. Not just factually here, but he wants us to know he's with us. Otherwise we'll fail. Without me, you can do... Can you finish this sentence? Nothing. John 15, verse 5. And you know where you are weakest? At your strongest point. And you know where you're strongest? At your weakest point. And it's not such a paradox as you think, is it? Because the moment I think I can do it, why do I need God's help? I can do it. So why would I pray? I can do it. I don't need your help. Look, go and help somebody else. That makes me weak, doesn't it? But when I know I can't do it, then I'm going to ask for help, aren't I? 
and say, Lord, I know I can't do it. Without you, I'm going to die. I need your help. So paradoxically, my strongest points can be my most dangerous areas. God wants to be involved, both in those areas where he's gifted me and experienced me, and in the others too, so that I stay with him. Those two points. And here's my third one. If I can find my notes in order, because I've got them all out of order. Third one, of course, is Achan. And that, of course, is when God is not obeyed. This is when we fail, when we don't obey God. God said, don't touch any of that stuff at all. It belongs to me. You'll have some later on, but it belongs to me. The whole lot belongs to me. But Achan coveted it. His eyes saw it. He longed for it. He disobeyed God. He heard God as clearly as anybody else, and he didn't obey. That's when we fail. And you know what? The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin, isn't it? Not for preachers to condemn us. It's for the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin. And some people, well, the devil and the spirit have different ways of dealing with that. If at any given moment you are feeling under a total cloud of uselessness and failure and inadequacy and wretchedness, the chances are it's not the spirit who's bringing you to that place, it's the devil who's bringing you under condemnation. The Spirit's ministry is to convict us of sin. And why does he want to convict us of sin? Because he wants us to confess our sin, that we be forgiven our sin, and we can get on with things. He does not want us to languish under a heaviness. But the devil does not want to tell us what the sin is, because he knows what he'll do. We'll confess it, and God will forgive us, and then we'll be in a good place again. So he just loads condemnation on us, doesn't he? You are a wretch, Charles. You think God's got any interest in you? Look, you've got everything wrong. He doesn't tell me what I've done wrong. You've got everything wrong. And it just makes you feel awful. Isn't that true? Be gone with you. Get behind me. So that's why we say with David, search me, O Lord, and see if there's any wicked way in me. Because I want to know so I can be rid of it. You see, Achan was given a chance. Couldn't he? They got all this paraphernalia happening the next day. And what's it all about? Someone's taken something. Well, Achan knows who it was. It was him, wasn't it? It doesn't matter whether there's anybody else involved. There could have been ten other people. But he knows it was him. So what should he have done at that moment? He should have gone to Joshua and say, It's me. I am so sorry. And thrown himself on the mercy of God. Now, when was the... You see, the city of Jericho was devoted to God, but not everyone died. Who didn't die? Rahab and her family. Why didn't they die? Because they threw themselves on the mercy of God. So I have no direct warrant from Joshua 7 for saying so, but I think in the spirit of the book of Joshua, if Achan had come and said, it's my fault, I'm so sorry, and thrown himself on the mercy of God, he would have received the mercy of God just as Rahab would have done. But he doesn't. But everyone lined up. 603,000 people. That's the men. All right? That's all the men. Have you ever seen 603,000? More than half a million people? It takes a bit of organising, doesn't it? Without any crash barriers and people in fluorescent jackets and things. 
They're all lined up. It takes ages. This is a very long, drawn-out. It's not kind of over in five minutes. This is going to take most of the day. Have you ever tried organising people? You know, it goes forever. Which one? Anyway. So then they go through it. Is it this one, this one, this one? It's this one. Everyone else, stand back. And they all move back, and it's this tribe. Can you see the way it's doing it? Achan's in the ones that's left, isn't he? Oh, it's a big tribe still, tens of thousands of people, but then they come forward clan by clan, and this clan's taken. Everyone else stand back, and Achan's still among them. Do you see what's happening? He's been given a chance, but he doesn't take it. That's the tragedy. He doesn't take it. Well, enough of that. He gets found out, and that's his problem. The problem is he's found out. He doesn't confess his sin. He, he confesses he's been found out. There's a difference, isn't there? And the whole of him and his family die because they colluded with him. They could have said to Joshua, it's, it's Achan. I saw him put the stuff in the tent. So they all die. Don't think it's too hard. It's just the way life is. He was given, being given a chance. Eventually, chances run out, don't they? For everyone who will die today, the chances run out. It's a solitary movement. Isn't it? So what do we do? Well, John tells us what to do, doesn't he? If we disobey God, what we should do? If we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just and forgives us our sin and cleanses us from all unrighteousness and fills us again with his spirit and we can begin again. And that sounds very easy, but it costs Jesus his life. So it's very costly. So I've got to own up to it. That's the first thing, isn't it? Own up. Yes, Lord, it was me. I did it. I'm not going to pretend I didn't. I've got to own up. Call it what it is. And I've got to let go of it. Get rid of it. Haven't I? Simple as that. So we get into trouble when we don't consult with God, don't talk things through with him, don't include him in our thinking, don't share anything, whether it's small or great, your business dealings. I, knew, I heard of a, of a high court judge, he was a recorder of the uh, City of London, a judge who was a uh, Christian, and he said on a number of occasions he's listened to court cases that are so complicated and so involved He's got all the details and he goes into his chambers and he thinks, I have no idea, Lord, how, what justice looks like in this case. I've heard all the details, I know what's happened, but Lord, what is just and right for everybody involved in this particular case? And he's prayed about it, he's prayed about the things, he's laid his notes before the Lord, he's sought the Lord, consulted the Lord. And he said on more than one occasion, he's gone out of his chambers and sat on his bench and read out his judgment and watched people's mouths drop open. As they realise he's, he's dispensing justice for all. Extraordinarily. And he says it's the wisdom of God. It wasn't me. Consult then. Include God in your thinking. And involve God in your doing. That he might strengthen you in every way. And instead of disobeying God, just let's keep obeying God. If there's something to obey, keep going there. Lord, just keep me on the straight and narrow. Just show me the way. And when we do fail... Well, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's solved the problem. And he stands with us. And the Spirit convicts us of sin. So if the Spirit convicts you of sin, either today or any other day, then we know what to do with it. To be rid of it. 
and then carry on with God. So instead of the people being brought to a grinding halt, we can make sure, as far as it lies with us, things can go on. So it's an uplifting story, really, isn't it? Failures happen. Things go wrong. But there's a way through. And in the book of Hosea, chapter 2, verse 15, which is the last mention of the Valley of Achor in the Old Testament, you'll find it becomes a door of hope. That door is, becomes not a valley of despair and trouble, but a door of hope. Let me pray. Father, we, only, we rest on the fact that you are a loving God who only wants us to walk in step with you, to know your blessing day by day. So help us, Lord, as we continue this week to consult with you, share with you our thinking on anything and everything. Whether they are big issues or small issues, let us consult with you as we read your word, Lord, as we discuss it aloud with other people. We want to include you in it, Lord. We want to be listening to anything you may have to say. Let your Holy Spirit prompt us, remind us of things that would help us in our deliberations. And when we get on to doing things, Lord, we want to involve you in them. That your spirit who fills us will enable us to do it in your strength and not merely in our own ability. We want to rest in your strength, Lord. And we want to comply with you, obey you, fulfill you, bring pleasure to you in every way. So help us to do that, Lord. And when from time to time things go wrong, we ask that you will convict us of sin Search us and see if there's any wicked way in us that we may confess our sin and know the unutterable joy of your total forgiveness and of the wonderful fresh start that we have each day, every day with you. For Jesus' sake, amen.